Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and to all of you who are here in person as well as on the live stream, I want to offer a warm welcome to all of you. I guess this is focused largely to this group in here. I thought about starting uh, our announcements today with a time of lament. I'm so sorry that our beloved dogs went down yesterday. And so, but I have a feeling we may have a chance, Charlie, you'd be ready, because we may have a chance to come back at you early in 2022. So maybe it's just appropriate for Advent. Advent is a time where we uh, lament certain things and look forward to the coming glory. See, I could tie my sports and my theology in together. If you're visiting with us, we offer you a very warm welcome. We're thrilled that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Uh, we would love to get to know you a little bit better. We hope you grabbed a goodie bag on your way in. Uh, give us the opportunity to get to know you. One of the practical ways to do that, if you're on the end of the row, I'd ask you to get this started. There are friendship registers, friendship pads. Uh, let's us know you're here. Pass that down the row, and then we can uh, get to know you a little bit better. Let me share several different things going on in the life of the church. If you want to pull out this particular paper here that says upcoming events, I'll share some different things going on. This afternoon, very, very uh, special service as several choirs, music ministries from different churches in our area will be gathering at the First United Methodist Church, their south campus on Cary Station Road for a Christmas concert, a Christmas celebration. I think this is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to bear witness to our community about the unity of the body and the glory of Christ. I would encourage you to come on out. I know our choir and Amy, they've been working very, very hard. The program is at 4 o'clock this afternoon, so we would love to have you be a part of that. Also, uh, we have a called congregational meeting. If you want to just call, call your attention here to... Uh, this particular announcement. A congregational meeting has been called for December 19th. That's two weeks from today, immediately following the worship service. The purpose of the meeting is to consider a proposal from the Georgia Department of Transportation to purchase a small parcel of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church land needed to widen Route 44. As you will recall, as part of the transaction to sell the five-acre parcel to a developer last August, we retained ownership of the access road off of 44 to the strip mall in the Lutheran Church. We have received an offer from Georgia Department of Transportation to purchase a small portion of that road. Our board of trustees has considered the proposal, found it to be a fair offer, and is placing a motion before the membership for approval. And so that meeting will be in two weeks on the 19th, immediately following the service. Also, this week, I would encourage you, if you're a part, Norma, the grief share is this Thursday night, the second of the two uh, seminars, and that will be at 6.30 over in rooms 110 and 111. I would encourage you. Uh, what a great time to just come and be a part of that particular support group together. And then we will be having our Christmas Eve service December 24th at 5 p.m. here in the sanctuary. Wonderful time to... Uh, come together and worship our Lord and Savior. So we encourage you to that. Also make note of the happy birthday Jesus party next Sunday, December 12th, during the children's worship time. And so 
contact the office or Rachel if you have any questions regarding that. So obviously it's a busy time of year. You could tell that by the number of announcements I just made. A lot's going on that we rejoice in and praise the Lord for. As we head into worship, this morning is the second Sunday of Advent. I've asked Lou and Karen Tepper if they would come up and do the Advent reading and prayer and light the candle. Zechariah prophesied that the coming of our Savior, and he predicted that his son, John the Baptist, would prepare the Messiah's way. These are the words of Zechariah in Luke 1, beginning with verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and had raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our Father and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, when the day shall dawn upon us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Mechanics are not my favorite. <laughs> Our Father, we thank you for raising up John the Baptist in order to prepare the way of the Lord. Thank you for his giving knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of their sins because of your tender mercy. Thank you that you are the light to those who sit in darkness and that you deliver us from the hand of our enemies that we might serve you without fear in holiness and righteousness. May we share this wonderful news with our friends and to all around us. In Jesus' name, amen.
call to worship this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24. Worship is initiated by God. He has called us this morning into his very presence. And I love how the writer to the Hebrews puts it. He's describing certain realities that occur when we gather in worship. And they are amazing realities. Friends, hear and embrace and receive this morning's call to worship. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Father, we praise you for what occurs in worship. What a magnificent time this is. That in a very, very real and literal sense, we are tasting heaven and the glories of heaven right now as we have come to Mount Zion. We have come to the city of the living God. We have come to the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. We are gathered with the angels to declare your glory. You have brought us out of darkness into your wonderful light where we can sing and pray and praise your glory. May we lift your name up on high and may you join us as we invoke your name in worship this morning through Jesus Christ, our Lord and the mediator of a new covenant. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our opening hymn of praise, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus.
I really do have to wonder sometimes why we only sing certain hymns at certain times of the year. You know, we only sing Christ the Lord is risen today at Easter time. And I mean, just think of the words. What a gospel-rich hymn that is. That's one of the reasons I can never get away from the traditional hymns. The doctrine that is being conveyed in there, I mean, just marinate in this. Jesus left the riches of heaven to come to earth and to taste our sadness. Every single one of us has gone through certain kinds of sadness. And Jesus, in his love and in his tender mercy, is a co-sufferer with us. Has come to taste our sadness and to set us free. That really is the Advent message. We look back on his first coming and we look forward to his second coming. Friends, let's together confess our faith that binds us together as Jesus' people. This morning, our confession of faith is the Apostles' Creed. Let's recite this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us stand and sing together our song of praise, Behold Our God.
Let's go before the Lord in a time of prayer. We will pray together the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in a pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We've just sung the song, Behold Our God, who has held the oceans in his hand, who has numbered every grain of sand. You are the one seated on your throne. You are the one who is incomparable, inscrutable, incomprehensible. You are the one that there is nothing that can compare to. And yet you stooped, stooped down, condescended to come, and in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to taste our sadness, to come to us, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Father, what words do we have to say? All we know to do is to adore you and to praise you and to stand in wonder at who you are. We thank you that you are our Father in heaven, and we do hallow your name, and we pray for the coming of your kingdom and your will to be done. May our hearts turn to you. May we be surrendered to your lordship, to your kingship, knowing that that is what is best for us. Father, we also know that as busy as this is as a season, as celebratory as it is in many ways, it also can be a very difficult season for many people. And so, Lord, we pray for any who are hurting. We pray for those who are struggling physically. We pray for those who are struggling spiritually or emotionally. We ask, Lord, that you, the God of all comfort, the Father of all compassion, would come to them, that you would comfort their hearts that they would know in a very, very real way your presence. And Father, as we go through this season as a church and as a community, we think about the various opportunities that we have to bear witness to your reality. Lord, we pray for the cantata, the Christmas concert, this afternoon. And Lord, by the very fact that several churches are getting together to join in praising you together, may that bear witness to you, that you exist, that you are real. I think of Jesus' prayer, his high priestly prayer, when he prayed that the church, that your people would all be one as you are one, Father, Spirit, and Son, that the world may know that you sent Jesus into the world. Our unity can be a witness that Christmas is real, that, Father, you sent Jesus into the world because you so love the world. We pray for the children gathering. We pray for the children's worship. We pray for grief share coming up. Lord, we pray for the Advent tea this week and for the women gathering, asking that that would be a sweet time of fellowship and celebration. We thank you that we have the opportunity to do these things. And as we go through the season of Advent worship, culminating in Christmas Eve, celebrating the birth of Jesus, Lord, may we know the wonder of our salvation ever more because we gather in your presence. 
that you form us as we worship you. We thank you that this is what worship does. So, Lord, we pray, asking for your kingdom, your power, and your glory to be revealed in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.
I may have told you this story before, I don't really remember, but you know, Presbyterians don't really know how to respond, do we, in terms of when there's something that is just so robust and so rousing, like the choir just singing for us. I remember this time, a good, good friend of mine, a missionary, came to our church in Oklahoma. We were Presbyterians, so Presbyterian worship, doing similar things that we're doing this morning. And the choir sings this rousing, robust hymn. Everybody's into it. We're just feeling. And of course, stops and we don't know what to do. And my good friend Jeff, he just blurts out, Go, choir! <laughs> I'm sorry, it took every ounce of restraint within me. <laughs> because there's, that's, that's just how I felt. Oh, come, all ye faithful. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. We, I, we're allowed to say amen. We're allowed to respond. Okay, just in case anybody is wondering, it's okay. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 56. We're continuing our series during Advent leading up to Christmas, a series I've entitled Hope According to Isaiah. Advent is a time, I've been saying this, if you're reading the devotionals, I'm kind of repeating this in the devotionals, that we have this opportunity from where we are. It kind of gives us a new orientation towards time. Advent is that time in between where we look back upon the first coming of Christ. And we look forward to his coming again in glory. We're realistic about the suffering and the darkness both inside of us and around us. We feel the fallenness of the fallen world. And we wait and we hasten the coming of the Lord and we wait for it. And we look forward to that glory. And Isaiah always, even in what we're looking at this morning, we will be camping on that verse 1 that says, soon my salvation will come. Do you sense the Advent theme in that? So let's pray together as we approach this text. And then if you have your Bibles open, we'll read Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 8. Lord, I approach your word with fear and trembling this morning because this is your word. And I pray that, Lord, we would surrender to your word. We know and believe it is living and active. It's going to do whatever work you've set out for it to do within us. And so I pray now for your spirit to be at work in a mighty way, teaching us, transforming us, healing us, challenging us, renewing us. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 56, beginning at verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come, and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let the, not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. 
and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, you know, last Christmas was a different time for Evie and I. I wasn't working. I was searching for a call. I had just heard of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. I think I had, by Christmas time, had one conversation with the search committee, was intrigued, was praying. But obviously, here, Evie and I, were, our severance is running out. We're not working. So Christmas was very, very different. I have to admit, it's great to see a smile back on Evie's face as she gets to enjoy, even though our son Joel is 32 years old, she loves shopping for him. She absolutely, it brings her great joy. And it reminded me this week, thinking about Joel growing up, and I titled this sermon, The Wonder of Salvation. Jesus talks about, let us come to him like little children. And one of the things that absolutely is one of the best things about children is the wonder in their eyes. And the wonder in their eyes at Christmas time. I'll tell you a quick story. I don't think I've told this particular story. I remember one Christmas. I don't remember exactly how old Joel was at this time. I do know we were living in Oklahoma. And Joel had just started playing the drums. Yes. We were enjoying that. And what he wanted for Christmas was a new drum set. Okay? Had to commit that one to prayer. And so, here's Christmas. We have everything set out, all set to go Christmas morning. Joel opens all his gifts. Our house there, it was kind of a ranch, one-level house. And it, and it just, we had everything out in our living family room and stuff like that. He didn't know this. We had the drum set set up in our back room, kind of a back porch, screened-in porch area that was. So Joel's finished, he's thinking he's finished, and then all of a sudden, he turns around and he notices the back room. And his eyes get real big, and he goes out, the drum set! The wonder that was in his eyes, Evie and I will never, ever forget. Have you lost the wonder of salvation? Are you still curious to the depths of God's love for you. I hope and pray we never lose the curiosity, the wonder, the adventure of getting to know Christ more and more, the wonder of salvation. We are going to look at the wonder of salvation from this text here this morning in Isaiah 56, and we're going to look at it from three perspectives. Not to be too repetitive, the first point is called the wonder of salvation. And each of these points leads to an implication or a result in our lives. And so the wonder of salvation leads to true community. The second point is the wonder of Sabbath leads to true worship. And the third point, the wonder of grace leads to 
true mission. So the wonder of salvation, true community, the wonder of Sabbath, true worship, and the wonder of grace, true mission. The wonder of salvation, I remember listening to Tim Keller in class one time, he was speaking to us, and he asked us the question, how much of the gospel do we think we understand? Fortunately, this time I didn't raise my hand. I thought to myself, all right, I've embarrassed myself enough times in Tim's classes, I'm going to be quiet now. And I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a second, children can understand the gospel, I I could probably understand, I'll be humble, 60, 70% of the gospel. I still have a ways to go. And then Tim said from the front, on my best day, I probably understand 2 to 3% of the gospel. Okay, I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. And then I don't remember exact context, what verse he was speaking on, but I remember what Peter told the church in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. Peter writes, and listen, he says, concerning this salvation... The prophets, so now put this in context, think about Isaiah, one of the prophets. Peter's hearkening back, showing the people he's writing to the unity of Scripture. And he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, who spoke of the grace that was to come, that ought to let you know what they're speaking about, the Bible beginning to end is all about grace, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. In other words, Isaiah had a sense of wonder going, I know I'm prophesying about something into the future. I'm searching intently and with the greatest care, wondering about the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ is pointing when he predicted the the sufferings of Christ and the glories that that would follow. It was revealed to them, so here's what they knew, that they were not serving themselves but you. That means us. The prophets are serving us when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now, listen to this last line. Even angels long to look into these things. What things? The wonders of salvation the glories of the gospel. If the angels aren't going, wait a second, pastor, you're spending too much time on this simple stuff. Just Christ and the gospel and he died for you and he was risen from the dead. When are we getting on to some of the more meteor theology? The angels look, are longing at the wonder of salvation. They're longing to look into these things. They have a curiosity do you think maybe we should have a little bit of humility and think to ourselves, maybe we haven't gotten it yet? Tim Keller says he understands 2% of the gospel. The angels long to look into them, but yet we want to study deep theology. Maybe deep theology is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe deep theology is the wonder of salvation. See, look at this. Isaiah says in verse 1, soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. The context of this is he's saying keep justice and do righteousness. 
Now again, we're not talking about the justice you hear on the news. We're talking about biblical justice. And biblical justice has to do with relationships, with things that lead to community, that things that lead to the body of Christ being the body of Christ, right relationships. And the body of Christ, the church, setting the pace, leading the way in things like concern for the poor, the downtrodden, the marginalized, the vulnerable. So Isaiah says, maintain or keep justice and do righteousness. Why? Because that word for is there, for soon my salvation will come. There's the reason. The reason for doing justice and doing righteousness is the wonder of salvation. Do you think salvation maybe is a little bit bigger than we think? See, let's put this again in context. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Isaiah chapter 53, how God, through the suffering servant, takes our sins upon himself. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord laid on him, the servant, the suffering servant, the iniquity of us all. He restores us. He brings us into a right relationship with himself. We are forgiven. We are declared righteous, the glorious doctrine of justification. You remember, I spent several months looking at that when we looked at Romans chapter 1 through 4. Now what? Do we just go on living? Are we saved simply to be saved? Do we go on and basically say, ah, that's good. I've got my insurance. I trust in Christ. I believe in him. Now I'm just going to kind of live my life. And when I die, go to heaven? Do we think that is the purpose of salvation? Do we just go on living any old way we want? No. The purpose of salvation is God is forming a new community, a new humanity to represent and reflect him to the world. We need to remember the story of God and the trajectory and the arc of the entire story of the Bible. It goes back all the way back to Genesis 1 in creation. God created the world, and the crowning jewel of his creation was what? Mankind, man, in the image of God. What does it mean to be an image bearer? You reflect the reality. We're a creature, we're derivative, and we are to reflect the glory of God. So God has made us in his image to manage the world on his behalf. We represent God, and we are to manage the world on his behalf for him. But the fall was what? We turned away from God. We didn't want to manage the world for God. We didn't want to be the... See, there is deep theology in the gospel, friends. The word here is called vice regent. We were the vice regent of God, stewarding God's creation for him. We didn't want to be the vice regent. We wanted to be the head honcho. We wanted to be the king, capital K. And so we turned away from him. And then redemption, think about Genesis chapter 12, God's covenant with Abraham. What is God doing in his covenant with Abraham? He is addressing the problem of Adam. And what is he doing there? He is forming a new community a new people, a new humanity through which all the families of the earth will be blessed. See, this salvation, when we read the words, soon my salvation will come, 
we need to read this as much bigger than just Jesus' atonement. Does it include that? Absolutely. But it's much bigger than that. Jesus is died as the suffering servant to form a people that would now have a power to enable us to do what? To keep justice, to do justice, to do righteousness. See, this is part of the wonder of salvation. We're declared righteous in order to live righteously. Actual righteous living for God's children is made possible because of the grace of God provided in justification. And we need to remember that righteous living is always relational. God is love. And love is all about relationships. And God, as he exists and reveals himself to us, is a God in relationship because he exists as a triune God, a trinity, three persons, one God. That means reality is fundamentally relational. And he has formed a people in order to enact and keep just right relationships on the earth. That's why if you look down with me at verse 3, it's very interesting when it says, let no foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord. Now think about what that means. No foreigner. That means no Gentile, no outsider. Let no one who has joined himself to the Lord, what does that mean? Become converted, become a Christian. They've become a part of the people of God. They have become a part of the community. Let no foreigner say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. See, when you are joined to the Lord, you are joined to his people. One body, one new humanity, made up of every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. What Erwin Ince calls the beautiful community. This is all part of the wonder of salvation. It is so much bigger than just Jesus and me, Jesus and the individual. God is at work today, and he is doing something that is far bigger than we could imagine. He is forming a community, a people for himself. That is the purpose of salvation. That is the purpose of grace. That is the first point. The wonder of salvation leads to and produces a new community. Second, the wonder of Sabbath produces true worship. Now, be honest with me, folks. Were you wondering what's going on here? All the mention of Sabbaths in this? Let this one keep the Sabbath. Let that one keep the Sabbath. Let's do this on the Sabbath. Let's do it. Kind of going, what's going on there? A lot of mention of Sabbath and Sabbath-keeping in this passage. You have verse 2, blessed is the man who does this, who holds fast, who keeps the Sabbath without profaning it. Verse 4, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath. Verses 6 and 7, the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to serve him, to love him, who keep the Sabbath. All of these different things, what is the meaning of the Sabbath? Is it all about rule-keeping? what we should and should not be doing on Sunday? Oh, I'm watching football this afternoon. Uh-oh, am I breaking the rules? I went out to eat on Sunday. Should I not do that? I'm breaking all the rules. One scholar who's written a lot about the Sabbath is a man by the name of N.T. Wright, and he has a lot of good things to say about the meaning of the Sabbath, and thus what it means to profane the Sabbath. 
Write notes, he says, when God made the world, he rested on the seventh day. He says, this doesn't just mean that God took a day off. It means that in the previous six days, God was making a world, heaven and earth together, for his own use. Like someone building a home, God finished the job and then went in to take up residence to enjoy what he had built. The seventh day rest was therefore a sign pointing forward into successive ages of time. A forward-looking signpost that said that one day, when God's purposes for creation were accomplished, there would be a moment of ultimate completion, a moment when the work would finally be done, and God, with his people, with his new community, would take his rest, would enjoy what he had accomplished. So in other words, the Sabbath is not about laziness. It's not about just not working. It is a witness. It is a signpost pointing to something. Kind of like when I take my daily walk and I walk up the road and I turn onto the next road, I see there a stop sign. Now that stop sign is what? It's just a sign. It's a signpost. It's not the ultimate completion of the, or the reality of that. That's a quarter mile ahead where you really have to stop. The sign is a signpost. Listen to what Wright is saying. He is saying that this seventh day rest now, the Sabbath, is a sign pointing forward, a forward-looking signpost that said that one day, when God's purposes for creation were accomplished, there would be a moment of ultimate completion. It hasn't happened yet. That's why there's still a Sabbath for today, because it's a witness. Wright goes on to say the Sabbath is a change to celebrate time in a different mode. The Sabbath was the day when human time and God's time met, when the day-to-day succession of tasks and sorrows was set aside and one entered a different sort of time, celebrating the original Sabbath and looking forward to the ultimate one. Now, that's a lot. What does that all mean for us? Do you notice that when we move ahead and get into the Gospels, that it sure does look like that Jesus is throwing out all the rules and regulations concerning the Sabbath? And he's making a lot of people mad, isn't he? Especially the religious leadership. Now, what is he doing? Is he only trying to correct the leaderships, kind of the Pharisees and all them, their legalism concerning the Sabbath? Remember when Jesus came on the scene according to Mark's gospel account? It says after John was put in prison, Mark chapter 1, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He says, the time has come. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. See, Wright says the Sabbath is the regular signpost. This is what it is today. It is a signpost pointing forward to God's promised future. And Jesus was announcing that that future to which the signpost had been pointing had now arrived in the present. This is part of what it means we live our time. This is one of the reasons I'm teaching this so much in Advent. Advent is a teaching tool to teach us to locate ourselves properly in time. That we live in the now, the kingdom of God is present, it's real, Jesus has come, he's amongst us, 
He's brought the future into the present, but it's also not yet. And the current Sabbath, the Lord's Day that we live, is a signpost. This is why it leads to true worship. You know what we're doing here? We are set bearing witness to the reality that the kingdom has already come. We celebrate that, and we also point forward to there will be a time when there will be no more grieving or crying or mourning or pain. Jesus says, I am making all things new. Isaiah says to those who keep the Sabbath, who don't profane it, he's looking forward to a time when the Sabbath will be brought into the present and still have a future orientation. So what is its purpose now? To celebrate God's victory over the work of Satan, sin, hell, and death. Yes, the Lord's Day, Sunday, is a different day than all the rest, but it's not about the rule-keeping. It is all about celebrating the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It is all about the climactic point of the gospel, saying the signpost has arrived, and it's arrived in the person of Jesus. It celebrates what Jesus, the true Sabbath, has done for his people. It most certainly has a purpose for today. Think about the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 when he says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. See, how do we profane the Sabbath today and how do we keep it? There still is a Sabbath rest to come for the people of God because although the kingdom has already been inaugurated, it's truly come, it's not yet complete. There is a rest to come. The writer to the Hebrews says, anyone who enters God's rest rests from his own work. Is he saying just your work that you do to earn a living? Now rest from your work. You're striving to earn salvation. You're striving to be good enough. The spiritual rest that Jesus provided when he says, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. Do you know why we come to worship on Sunday? Do you know what worship forms us in on Sunday? It forms us in the gospel. It gives us rest. We keep the Sabbath by entering God's rest, by resting from our striving to be good enough, our striving to prove ourselves, our striving to be adequate, our striving to look good, are striving to do everything right. Friends, I have good news for you. You can't do everything right. Good luck with that one if you're trying that. But I have even better news. Jesus did everything right for you. And keep coming to worship because I'm going to remind you, Lord's Day after Lord's Day after Lord's Day, because the purpose of worship and the purpose of Sabbath is entering into that rest saying, I'm not good enough, but Jesus is good enough, and I'm good enough in him. Sabbath leads to true worship. Lastly, the wonder of grace leads to true mission. We saw how the wonder of salvation leads to true community. 
We saw how the wonder of Sabbath leads to true worship. Now look with me. Look at who the recipients of grace are. The foreigner and the eunuch. Isn't that interesting? The foreigner who is not a part of the line or the heritage of Israel. They are the outsider. They are the one. What was Israel calling Gentiles? Those Gentile dogs. And look at what the text says. Verse 3, let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And the eunuch who has no ability whatsoever, no power to carry on that line. What do we learn here? What man cannot do, God does. See, what does the foreigner and the eunuch have to contribute? Absolutely nothing. They can do nothing. What do we have to contribute? Absolutely nothing. And we learn that it is the foreigner who is not excluded but included with God's people. And the eunuch who was given, look at this, an everlasting name. That's why he says, never let the eunuch say, I'm only a dry tree. Why? Because you're given by God. What does grace do? Talk about the wonder of salvation. It gives you an everlasting name, a legacy that goes on forever and ever. Now, how does this lead to mission? Look with me at verse 8. Verse 8 promises, it says, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. I will gather means this is God's mission. Here's the one thing we need to recognize. We don't have a mission. We don't have to come up with a mission. God has a mission. He is extending his kingdom on the earth, forming a people for himself, a people who will be the means of bringing that salvation and sharing it with others. We have the privilege and the joy of participating in God's mission. God has a mission, and he happens to have a church for his mission, which is why if you look with me at the end of verse 7, I wonder, did these words sound, you biblical scholars out there, did these words sound familiar to you? For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Have you heard of that before? Remember the Gospels again? Sound familiar? When Jesus goes in and cleans the temple, and he overturns the tables, and he drives out the money changers. I get it, right? Jesus just doesn't want us to make money. That old fuddy-duddy Jesus again. There he goes. That's what he's all about, right? No. And he gives the... Why is Jesus so passionate about this? Because he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, and notice this, for all peoples. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every language, and remember the story of the Bible. God is fulfilling his covenant, his original plan with Abraham. Abraham, and his, why am I creating Israel, the people of God? Because you are going to be the bearer of that message, the light to the nations. It is through you that all nations will be blessed, that every tongue, tribe, people, and language will come in. You are to be, carry the message to the world. And so when Jesus shows up at the temple, and there's Israel hindering Gentiles from coming in, that's what Jesus gets passionate about. Jesus is passionate about his mission. Jesus is about his father's business. 
And when that mission is being hindered, that's when Jesus gets mad. And look at this, verse 8, he says, see, this is still what God is doing today. He is using the church to break down barriers, to bring all peoples. He says, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. The promise is I will gather. God's mission, yet others, foreigners, eunuchs, outsiders, racial barriers broken down, the downtrodden, those who think their lives have no meaning, no purpose, no significance. How? Through the church. Those already gathered. What do you think? Is salvation and the wonder of salvation a little bit bigger than maybe we thought it was when we came in? If Tim Keller understands 2 to 3% of the gospel, you think maybe we're in the 0.3, level? And maybe we can be curious instead of assuming we get it all. We'll never get beyond the gospel. We'll never get beyond the good news. And I think that is good news. Let's pray. Father, I ask your forgiveness sometimes for my lack of curiosity. The angels long to look into these things, and yet I can get bored with it. How foolish am I? Lord, I pray for repentance on my part, renewal on the part of your people, that even as we sing now, hark the herald angels sing, glories to the newborn king, it would be with a sense of wonder. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn this morning.
Amen. Amen.